Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. The Athletic. Mark Marquez may be moving from Honda to Cristina Ducati, but one of the biggest compromises of his contract-breaking move was that he had to leave all but one of his tight-knit crew behind him, including Santi Hernandez who had been his crew chief for his whole MotoGP career so far. Instead, Mark will be working with Frankie Carchetti, already a title-winning crew chief with Joao Mir in 2020, and the man who transformed Marquez's Grassini predecessor Fabio De Giantonio from struggler to MotoGP winner. So here on the Race MotoGP podcast, we are absolutely delighted that Frankie has agreed to join Simon Patterson and Val Hurunchi for an exclusive chat about life alongside Marquez so far, and his feelings about being the key part of the MotoGP rider move of the decade. So let's get straight to it. Here is Frankie Carcetti in conversation with Simon and Val on the eve of MotoGP testing beginning at Sepang. Frankie Carcetti, thanks for joining us in the Sepang Media Center um, for a bit of a, a preseason chat. Um, I think we've got lots to chat about this year. Things have kind of escalated a bit for you, even <laughs> after the strong start or the strong end to last season with Fabio Di Antonio. Yes, uh, to be honest, uh, because of how the end of the season finished, which was what felt a race every week, um, you don't really. You never really thought about it too much until uh, I think it was you were there as well. But uh, you turn up on a on the Tuesday for the test, and there's a million and one reporters outside, and you're like, "Oh, okay." Yeah, <laughs> then you I, realize was one of them. I was one of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you realize uh, how big it is. How has it been so far? How has been the the initial process of working with the the legend that is Mark Marquez? Like, has it been? You know, you're a professional, you've done this before. It's not a huge shock to the system. You're not going to get starstruck with him, but it's still going to be, I'd imagine, very different from previous people you've worked with. Yeah, I mean, for sh- I can say it's not, but for sure it is. Um, I think the you know, obviously we got to know each other well in Valencia. Uh, well, well, a little bit. Um, but it was almost not that enjoyable in the sense that you know, we had one bike, uh, it was terrible, the conditions, really windy, and you're like, Christ, you need to do as many laps as possible without any incidents, and uh, it was quite tough, because you sort of, you know, like I said, you don't want a little slip off or a technical problem or anything, so probably the the best time we had, actually, was um, up to the presentation, because we went early, um, and it's a completely different thing, you've don't actually talk much about bikes it's about everything else in the world and uh had a game of paddle restaurants that kind of stuff and uh it's good because you get to know each other a little bit better we, we had to explain to matt who, who does the podcast with us what paddle was after that after we recorded the podcast of the team <laughs> lunch <laughs> don't worry it was my first time so uh, <laughs> uh frankie do you remember uh, last year, obviously, we've all lived the, the Marquez story and all of its twists and turns. So I just I want to ask you one thing about it. Do you remember the first moment when somebody presumably told you, hey, Mark might be coming? 
There's a chance. Uh, I'll be honest. Uh, I f figured it out quite early that there was uh, maybe some potential. Um, because I heard rumours of somebody, a top, a top uh, rider coming and uh, from maybe a specific team. And I knew it wasn't one of them. So I thought, oh, <laughs> could it be <laughs> like that? And, um, you know, then the rumours started to circulate. And then obviously at uh, Japan, everything was quite clear. But um, I did have a few inclinations uh, prior whether I'd be there or not and everything else, you, you don't know. But, um, you know, it's. I don't think uh, until he literally physically signed, uh, even for us, it's uh, that believable, you know, because it's... I'd say it's probably one of the biggest things in, what, the last 50 years at least. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's the biggest team change, I think, at least since Valentino went to Yamaha. But arguably it's bigger because he's going to what on paper is a, a small family-run satellite team rather than a big flashy factory squad. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I've got to know him. And um, when you know, I think it's always the same when you, when you know people, or Mark in this case, outside the track and you get to really know them he's i mean such a you can tell he's a they're a very close-knit family i mean the alex and mark they get on so well it's unbelievable and um you know i'll be honest i thought after suzuki which was very well known for that uh family sort of feeling that you'd never find something similar but yeah grassini is that kind of uh that atmosphere that you that that you sort of always want. Obviously, Mark's got a, a big job ahead of him, switching from a Yamaha or switching from a Honda to a Ducati um, after an entire career riding the other bike. But he's a guy that I think has a bit of a reputation for being fairly adaptable, for being quick to to move himself to you know to take on new challenges. We all know it didn't take him very long to move from a Moto2 bike to a MotoGP <laughs> bike back in the day. Um, how much of that have you seen so far? Like, have you seen him? making a fairly smooth transition or is there still a bit of work to do over the course of we've got what five days of testing before the season starts to keep working at it I think it's from 30 laps in Valencia it's almost impossible to know anything um, until probably at least three or four rounds to really understand it's, it's the adaption uh, not just adaption but you know the one thing if you look at the, the history of the Ducati riders I mean you know, it took Pecco a while, it's Martin, even Bastanini, you know, they, they showed glimpses every now and then, but to, to put a whole year together, you know, it's, I know from past experience, when you get to a level, you go back the year after to the same place, you have the base, you've got your electronic maps, you've got your setup, what you did from, let's say, your base specifically for that track. So it's really difficult to know. So is it a bit overstated how much the the Ducati is one size fits all? Because I think there's sort of the impression that people have that it's just a bike that works for everybody at every point. But clearly that isn't necessarily the case. No, I don't think so. I mean, um, I'd like to almost say that the proof in the pudding was maybe a little bit with DJ. We had to go quite a different avenue to everyone else um, because the base, you know, it's 
actually uh, it's a good thing for that the bike can be set up in a different way and still go fast but you have to find what suits that rider a um, little bit different it was his second year um, Mark has many years of experience um, I mean the only thing I can say quite confidently is that wherever you start after two three races the next one will be better and then just get stronger and stronger because then you'll have an idea you'll have your base you'll understand pretty much electronically where you want to start it's just a case of how long it's going to take to to find that that base is one of the areas for maybe you and mark have a bit of a, a strength this year a bit of an advantage from being a satellite team is that you can go your own way a bit more and and kind of do your own thing because we know that Ducati are quite sort of controlled from above and how Gigi runs things. He likes to be super involved, but it seems like the further down the pecking order they are, the more you can do things like last year when you and Digia kind of reinvented the wheel a wee bit and, and made it work for you. No, I think there's quite a lot of mutual respect and uh, I've known Gigi for many, many years. And, um, you know, you don't just do something and don't tell them and then sort of see what happens. It's... It's always a risk when you go a different avenue because if a bike works why go a different avenue but everyone has their own style of riding and everything else um you know when you say you go a different avenue it's not like a complete reinvention of the wheel it's just a different way of setting it different weight distribution everything so if anything it's a compliment to Gigi and Ducati that the bike is slightly differently it can still work so I think it's more of a personal thing and experience and everything else. Um, you know, you obviously look and go, well, Pekka and Martin, as they rode it, also slightly different between the two, um, which is effectively where we almost started. Um, you sort of put the two together, put mark size, everything, and came up with something that didn't work bad at Valencia. You've got to see it at a different track, but... Um, I think it will be the same that we'll just go, you know, we're going to start quite simple, uh, get his position sorted, which was just something that was thrown at it at Valencia and, and see where it ends up. And certain positions always been something that you've worked really hard at with your riders. I know that. Yeah, it's, it is one of my, uh, <laughs> I, I just have this certain thing. I mean, everyone has their own way of working and doing it. Mine's, if I've got, one of my strengths is more race distance, especially end of the races. Weaknesses uh, qualifying, you know. I might as well start at the back every week. But uh, it's just how I've been. I've always more on the race, get the position right so that um, you've got something that's rideable at the end. Um, don't know. It, you know, Mark's one of his qualities is his pole positions and lap times. So let's see how it goes together. Frankie, you've won a world title with a sophomore rider in Joan Mir. You've turned Digia into one of our favorite riders in MotoGP right now in his turnaround. So don't take this question the wrong way, but because <laughs> you're a rock star. But is there is there a bit of trepidation coming into the season because of you know the magnitude of the name that's that's showed up at your doorstep and that you need to take care of in the eyes of I think so many MotoGP fans. You can look at it in a few different ways. I mean. In some respects, you know, there's a lot going on. I mean, if you listen to some people, you might and everyone else might as well not turn up, which is definitely 
not what it is. We, we may have been guilty of that yeah. a few times. <laughs> um, but, you know, you have... If you want to be doing this job and you want to be here, you have the same goals. You know, the idea is to get to the top. I don't know how long it'll take you to to get you to rider to be at the front winning races, but uh, you you know you just I'll treat him in exactly the same way. We have the same goals. Um, it's like anything; the quicker you do it, the the better it will be. But it's only time will tell. Have you set any sort of a timeline? Like, is there goals for you want to be here at this point and here at this point? Or is it just far too early to tell any of that now? It's far too early, but, you know, it's quite interesting. I think Valencia is always one of his strengths. Uh, strong circuit, sorry. Uh, you know, he's quite famous left-handed tracks. I've already seen a few things. Uh, so this is quite different. It's... Uh, right-sided track uh, is somewhere he says I mean he's won two races here but he says it's one of his least yeah. favourable tracks uh, obviously in Qatar um, but in a way it's quite a good balance because Qatar's probably my strongest track so you know we're no different you have tracks that you figured out you know what you have to do there's still places you know Hareth's one of mine that I've never really mastered uh, so you've you know, just see how the blend goes, really. It, we never get the chance to, you know, we, we, it's always us talking here and we never get someone like you on to ask this to. So you've you've opened the door to it now, so I have to follow up on it. <laughs> Whenever you say that you, you've seen something already, like what is it? What do you see from from the data or from the riding that, that makes you think, ah, this is why this guy's so good in the left-handers? <laughs> to answer that without going into anything specific is difficult. But you... <laughs> To be honest, it's one of the biggest enjoyments in the job you do. That um, Especially when you get a new rider, you have absolutely no idea what to expect. And uh, over the year, you've seen something that you've not even thought that someone could do. And uh, he's no different. He does a few things in this, I'd say, in the braking, stopping, um, without going too specific. But he, he does something a little bit different that I've seen to previous riders. Um, but like I said, every rider has their own strengths and things that they do. And to be honest, it's it's like a win-win for someone like myself because the more you work with these riders, the more you can pass on. It was no different with DJ. Yeah, he was a sophomore rider. He had some qualities that he did. Um, but one of the biggest things is you can pass information from previous riders and go, well, he did this, he did that. Uh, and, you know, the. I mean, I'm sure Deej will admit one of the things he never used or used the rear brake a little bit, but yeah. not to the level he used at the end of the year. And you can pass these things on and it'll be no different with Mark probably at the end of the year that, you know, you'll you'll learn something different again. Yeah, he's been with, with Asante in a very, very consistent crew his entire MotoGP career. So, you know, that's one set of working processes that's probably very specific and, you know, successful. Yours is successful too, but probably very different. So how important it is for you to adjust to that right now? Or is it more of a case of when a crew chief gets a new rider, do they try to imitate the previous crew chief or sort of enforce their working practices? How does, how does that relationship normally go? And in this, in this particular case? 
I think it's like everything. Everybody's different. They have their own ways. Who's better, right or wrong? It's not for me to decide. Uh, I would say my hardest year was last year because I'd gone from a manu different manufacturer for four years. Uh, and that is a difficult job. Uh, you have to understand the bike and it, it takes a while. Um, almost half a season. If you really want to know the inside and outside, how it reacts. Uh, the same with a rider. You put everything together, it's quite a big uphill struggle i'm one to believe that either one or the other so keep the team change bike change the rider to change everything can be quite difficult um you know i could imagine if i go with a rider to a another manufacturer maybe there's certain advantages because you know what he wants but you have absolutely no idea on the bike um so it's six of one and half a dozen of the other, really. I guess one thing that might help with that this year is that from you know from what we've heard about Mark, from all we know about him in the garage, he seems to be quite technical, quite like into the details of stuff. He, he strikes me as someone that's going to arrive and have an idea of what he wants and be able to share that with you. Whether or not that's useful or not, I don't know. Whether or not that's something the two of you are going to have to sit down and work out. But it... There's a certain element because actually uh, earlier today, Matty and my uh, electronic guy, I, I actually said, enjoy this year because I don't think you're going to ever, ever have another rider. Um, the rapport, how he talks about everything, the technicality and everything, uh, it's again different from anything I've ever seen before. So it's, you know, obviously for him it will be difficult as well, you know, having the same crew everything bike something completely different uh i've already you know i'm sure there's going to be a mix of i've already seen it you know it's working maybe don't touch something but then you know no well you know you want to go forward and you have to try you know it's uh it's going to take a while for the whole relationship and everything and um you know for sure, there's probably a part of him, especially with the the difficult years he's had, that you know, if you get something that works, you want to be super careful that it then doesn't work <laughs> when you go somewhere else. Or in your experience, what like is there anything that you can do to kind of speed that process up? Like, do you are you really looking forward to, for example, or have you been really looking forward to getting to here in Sepang because everyone's in the same hotel at night? And, you know, you debrief over dinner a bit more than you do in Europe, or does that help does you know do you kind of have to make an effort to spend a bit of time together and build the personal relationship to help the professional relationship or or is it just something that you end up doing subconsciously it just happens subconsciously and um i can only give examples on previous riders but there's always something or something that happens during the year whether it's round one whether it's round four or five I don't know and then when that something happens there's like a click and you're like oh you know I'm not saying that you have to do that but you know I've had it before where not a disagreement as such but <laughs> one wants to go one way one wants to go the other way and then on this specific one um, the way I went actually worked and then it was like 
I'm never going to say anything again. And then <laughs> that was that. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but um, there's always certain elements, you know, hopefully a win or something like that might speed things <laughs> up or change things, yeah. but I don't know. You don't know. Can I ask you a stupid question about the the working process? Because I think that's just something that we don't really think about from the outside. We take it for granted. What's the language of the crew primarily? Are you guys going to communicate mostly primarily in English? Because for Mark, it's been Spanish his entire life, I presume, with, with Santi and the rest of the Honda crew. Maybe some English with the Japanese, obviously from Honda. But it's, you know, it's a difficult question. It's a difficult situation. And it's worth, before you answer, it's worth throwing out that despite the fact that you sound as English as they come. You do speak. You do speak a fair bit of Italian, so there is an option to have a second language, which most Brits in the paddock doesn't have. Well, I mean, yeah, I've had this in the past, and I know Mark. Uh, obviously, working with Japanese is, um, we've already agreed that we will speak English. Um, we have a an Olin's engineer from New Zealand, so. Uh, saying that it's quite easy because it's happened on more than one occasion already you sort of ask a question in one language and then answer it in another language and then I'd say in Spanish as well but I said that to a journalist earlier and uh, I said yeah yeah just ask away in Spanish and I'll answer and then after the first question I didn't understand anything and I went okay we'll we'll go back to English so <laughs> now nah, I, I think it will be primarily English but uh, Italian at the same time. I think I remember you telling me last year that DJ tended to, to try and speak in English in the garage until he got excited and then it kind of <laughs> slipped into Italian by accident the more, the more worked up he got about things. Yeah, I, it's the same in Suzuki with Joanne. You know, we'd start in English and if he... Uh, do you know what? The, the first thing he said, if he spoke English when he came into the box, you knew... I didn't, you didn't even have to speak because I knew everything was all right. <laughs> If he spoke in Italian, I knew that there was some work to do. If he started coming in and occasionally spoke in Spanish or Mallorca, I was like, oh, Christ, we're up shit creek here now. So, um, so uh, yeah, well, let's see. I mean, it's supposed to be English, so uh, if you hear him in English, it's going all right. <laughs> uh Frankie, I, I think that's you know that's one for us journalists mostly so far because you have your hands busy adapting Mark to the to the twenty three and adapting yourself to the twenty three. But you know, the data sharing's going on. I presume it's going on in the in the testing too between the all the Ducati riders. Are you guys looking already at what the, the factory has cooked up with its new bike? Because it you know, they promise a big, big step, so it could be could be an issue. Could be a complication. Um I mean I check always anyway. Um, no matter who it is or what they've got because uh, I've got an engineering background and it always interests me anyway so and it's really important you stay up to date with everything anyway um, but I mean they had a year spec last year and I think quite a few of the riders you know Bezeki won uh, Alex won sprint race yeah. uh, Deja won a main race so it's possible Speaking of DJ, um, looking back to last year, does it like does it feel like it ended a bit too soon? Because you guys had, you know, it, it had just started to click. Things were coming. You ended the season on an absolute high, and then everything changed. Yes and no. I think it happened a lot earlier than uh, the results showed. It was just 
like I said, one of my pitfalls is probably qualifying. And uh, there was, from as early as Silverstone, if you look back, he actually closed on the leader from like nigh on dead last uh, until he came in for wet tyres. Because, yeah. yeah, I think Michael Fish was doing the weather that day or something. But um, the pace was there early on. But the problem is with modern day rules and everything, uh, it's so difficult if you start at the back to make your way through forward. It's not like it was as recent as three or four years ago. Um, so qualifying now is super, super important. The The difference was that at Phillip Island, second row, Qatar, front row, it's just a world changer because the, the, the race is a completely different race. Um, so... I'll be honest, it started earlier, but um, it just took a while to get the really good results. Um, who knows if we'd have started at Mandalika where you'd have ended up, but <laughs> that's the, the fun in games. I, I think the most interesting, just as we're wrapping up, the most interesting thing that I'm going to take away from this chat is that we always think about riders having strong tracks and weak tracks and we think about bikes having <laughs> strong tracks and weak tracks but I've never had the, the thought before that crew chiefs do as well but it seems to be something that you're like pretty sure that is a yeah I've from early as when I used to work in BSB I think I remember uh, Thruxton <laughs> which I think people used to hate it's really bumpy and fast um, I think I did three years in a row or four with three different riders, different bikes and did the double each time. I don't know, just I figured that track out and um, there's tracks on the GP calendar. Uh, that's why I'm gutted about uh, Argentina because I love that track. <laughs> he uh, messaged me right away saying that. <laughs> yeah, nothing yeah. to do. Well, yeah. uh, and there's certain tracks that, yeah, you just haven't figured out for some reason. Um, Le Mans but I don't think I'm the only one who doesn't like <laughs> That's because Le Mans different every time we go with the weather. Yeah, I just want to do one year where I don't see turn one. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's, it's, you just figure things out. Um, because every track has its own niche, so balance of the bike, whether it's a front-ended track, rear-ended uh, grip, so it helps for sure. Um and like you said, I don't think it's any different to riders. Obviously, if the rider goes faster, then it, it you know, it does help. It helps. <laughs> <laughs> That's loads of information peeled out of you. So uh, perfect Thank way to start the welcome. season. Thank you very much for joining us. On Thank you very much. A fairly busy day, I'd imagine, in your box, trying to get things done. Um, as we speak, what, sort of 12, 16 hours before we're on track for the first time <laughs> in 2024? I've been waiting for the bikes to start, but I still haven't heard anything, so they're still working, obviously. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. Thank you very much for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you. So thank you so much to Frankie Carcetti and the Grassini team for giving us that time with him on the eve of the first full field test of the year at Sepang. Um, I absolutely loved that. My, my favourite thing that came across straight away was that there was no kind of, um, no sense of him going, oh yeah, I've, I've won titles with other riders, with, with Mir, a rider's just a rider. He knows, Frankie knows how huge this move is and what it means to MotoGP. There was no disguising that. 
And yet at the same time, the way he talked about actually working with Marquez just made it sound like it'll be the same approach as working with Digia with Mir. It's just another rider to plug in. And he's aware of that on a day-to-day working in the garage sense. But outside the garage, he is 100% aware of how enormous this is and what a crucial part he's got to play in, in the story of the decade. Yeah, I mean, Frankie is, you know, you can tell that he's a MotoGP fan as well as a highly competent engineer and crew chief that, that's you know, won championships, um, MotoGP in you know, dominated in British superbikes with Leon Camier, has won races in World Superbikes. He's been... He's been there and done that, but he's also still a fan of the sport, which is quite refreshing because a lot of people, I think the longer they spend in the championship, the longer they lose that, especially from an engineering side of things. So it's it's really refreshing to hear that he's still got that um, and that he understands just how significant this season is for him, for the team, for Mark, for the championship, for you know, for all those, for us who are writing about it, for everyone who's watching it at home. He gets that, which is cool. And it's quite nice to get that insight on Marquez for an outsider as well which is something we've not really ever had the opportunity to have because his crew has been so tight-knit around him and so consistent for so long it feels like the world's only seen only got to know about Marquez what Marquez has been willing to show us himself which has been quite carefully managed in, in documentaries and all sorts over the years but Frankie actually coming into this as a new to Marquez colleague and being so willing to chat about it I feel like we learn a little bit about Marquez as a human from Frankie already, and that will hopefully, if he keeps chatting to us and others, hopefully keep on going during the season. I think that that partly underlines the the, the strangeness of this whole situation is that you know MotoGP's most famous you know defining rider of this current era has moved over effectively without all the the packaging that you would expect to come with him. You know when riders of this caliber make these kinds of moves, they're not normally plug and play. You know they take all of their familiar surroundings and stuff and all of their working methods together. Whereas because of the way this has turned out, Mark is coming over with what, one mechanic and well, I mean, probably some personal entourage. And of course he's working with Alex who he knows super, super <laughs> well, but it's, it's different. It's different. It's, it, it really is. And I, I think that is, uh, I, I don't want to say underrated because I think people properly rated, but that is a like a properly interesting facet of how this season's going to play out. I, I don't think Frankie gave away much about Mark Marquez in, in talking to us, but he he kind of confirmed a lot of what at least me as someone that you know that is in the paddock and, and sees what others seem to think of working with Mark Marquez is like. He he kind of confirmed a lot of that. There was there was no shock and revelations, but. No, he he built out a bit of Mark's character. He confirmed a few of the the suspicions that we had about what he is like to work with, technically and personally. Um, it's quite yeah, it's it's really nice to get that insight because it's you know, like you say, Matt. It's not something we've ever had a chance to get before because he's literally been working with the same crew chief longer than I've been in this paddock up until now. I'm guessing. I I think we all feel pretty confident seeing what Carcetti's achieved with other riders. That this is not going to be. This is not going to be an unsuccessful relationship. The chances of this going wrong, even though it is a move away from Hernandez after all these years, are quite are quite low. Obviously, you know, as much as Marquez and Hernandez were amazing together, they couldn't between them engineer that Honda into a decent bike. Whereas now, you know, Carcetti is familiar with a very good Ducati that Marquez is just jumping on. In a way, this I don't want to uh, play this down too much, but. It's almost an open goal. I mean, Frankie himself was trying to kind of play down the the people, us, saying Marquez might, well, you particularly, Simon, saying Marquez might win absolutely everything. 
this season. But this is it. Is it? Is, am I? Am I demeaning the job too much to say this? This might not be the hardest engineering challenge that Carcetti has ever faced to have a well-sorted year-old Ducati and Mark Marquez jumping on it. I mean, you've got to think that Mark Marquez and a year-old Ducati that's just won the championship is an easier sell to pretty much anyone than uh, a second-year Juan Mir on a Suzuki that was at the time pretty much unproven was, and he won yeah. a championship with that. Um, that that's the thing. It's. It's not. I don't think it's. It's in any way demeaning Frankie's abilities to say that he's landed an incredibly uh, plum assignment for this season because he's got such an incredible talent in Mark Marquez and he's got a bike that is is widely acknowledged as head and shoulders above pretty much everything else in the championship at the minute. Um, it, it's it's a really good place to be, and the fact that. Frankie, of all people, has ended up as the crew chief to Mark Marquez. Is like it's the cherry on top of what was already a very good package. You know, that's the way to look at it. He's 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 got this amazing package to go with his talent, and he's got a championship winning crew chief who's who's really really good at his job on top of it all. Um, it, it's it's the full package. That that's you know it's it's everything he needs, and it's. Yeah, okay, maybe winning the championship, and I know I've said this a lot, maybe winning the championship is a bit of a stretch, despite all the um, you know the hype I've put around it. But it's going to be very, very difficult to see how they're going to have a bad season Yeah. in relation, you know, in comparison to Mark's previous few seasons, at least. You know, this is not going to be another 2023 season. It just can't be. There's too many positives lined up here to make it that bad. I mean, He'll run in the top five all the time or whatever, but I, I do think it is important to note, and the way I feel and the way many will feel, he has to at least fight for the championship. And if he does not, it's a bad season, even if it isn't a bad season. You know? Yeah, I think that's There fair. are certain expectations that have formed, regardless of what Mark says, regardless of what Frankie, with all due respect, says. You know, Frankie sounds reasonably confident, but you know, there are still expectations that are higher than what any of them are, are willing to commit because it's, you know potentially the greatest rider of all time on a on a really good package in a team that's proven it can run with the best of them and you know obviously it is a luxury problem to have but if, if Frankie Garcetti say failed with Fabio Giantonio last year imagine which he did not he extremely did not by the end but if he had failed you can you can hide away there's absolutely a place to really for that to go relatively unnoticed for people to go well Digia just wasn't cut out for MotoGP and that's that and it's simple there's no there's no option like that here just no the if it doesn't live up to our expectation then every aspect is going to be scrutinized and one of the aspects that is different to marcus's previous life as a MotoGP superhuman winning every race dominating in low grip is you know the crew and the crew chief so uh, that's that's sort of what i was trying to to get at when i was asking you know about it being intimidating is Marcus brings a spotlight on everything, and that'll be something to manage. No, I, I, the, I think uh, the way you've summarized that, Val, is kind of, it's an open goal, but missing it would be pretty bad. So, yeah, there's, like I say, there's an awful lot of things that are right about this package. We're all very confident nothing can go wrong with this package. So if it does, that is going to lead to an awful lot of a lot of questions. I do wonder, I still do wonder if, after all these years of, having a compromise not quite fit Marquez with how long it's been with who else has come along since he was genuinely in his prime in a way we could properly measure I do wonder if, if this doesn't go well 
I don't think it's obvious that all the questions will be pointed at the crew necessarily. I think there will still be people going, well, is Marquez just not what Marquez was in 2019 before he started smashing himself up to that degree? So there's an awful lot to be to be answered here. Also, the, the irony as well of uh, Carcetti ending up with um, Marquez post-Honda when there were, it, it felt baffling to quite a few of us that when Suzuki closed down and Mir went to Honda that Carcetti wasn't taken with him. I think that was quite contentious at the time as well and ending up at Grassini is almost like a kind of fallback option that's, that's worked out extremely well for Frankie now in a way that absolutely nobody would have foreseen back when when Mir made his move yeah pro- pro- look professional sport is hilarious if you, if you told us when <laughs> Suzuki was heading out of the championship that uh, Frankie Garcetti would be Mark Marquez's crew chief soon enough this yeah. is not this is not the path that we would have imagined like not even a little bit not even close so you know what a what a sequence of events. Every day is something entirely new that resets our entire picture. But, but then you know, whenever you look back a few years, you would never, ever have thought that Suzuki were going to take a punt on the random Italian-speaking English guy um, that no one really knew who was crew chiefing for Carl Abraham at the time <laughs> and put him into their team and suddenly be a world champion within like a season. Yeah, you know, that, that has also been... Um, <laughs> that was also a, a pretty... yeah. It just goes to show that this place, I think maybe in the paddock, it, it's it's very much a case of what people at home perceive isn't necessarily what's perceived inside the paddock. Um, maybe this is just another reminder of it. And you know, Giacchetti have somehow engineered a, a master plan. You know, I, I wonder if if Carcetti hadn't been working with Digia this year and he'd been last year and he'd been working with another Ducati rider somewhere else within the, the camp, would he still have found his way into Marquez's garage for this season? Knowing what we know about him and, and you know how well he operates, would they have tried to make that happen in some way anyway? And I wouldn't be surprised if the answer was yes. Um, I mean, it's completely hypothetical because here he is. But yeah, I think that that's, you know, this... It's fortuitous, but I don't think it's entirely um, by accident that it's happened this way. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's a very good point. I think as much as we uh, we, we rightly hype up the underdog element of Marquez ending up at Grassini Ducati, and you look at things like the Grassini launch and the entire Grassini team fitting on one nightclub stage and stuff. This is this is a relatively small team, but it's got proven pred- proven pedigree. It's got some very good people in it. This is not an impossible sell as satellite teams as satellite teams go by a long way. Um, the final thing I think we should uh, chat about from what Frankie said was actually, okay, we brought him on because he's Mark Marquez's new crew chief and we were interested in the Marquez side, but it's pretty rare to get a MotoGP crew chief chatting on a podcast at all. And a lot of what he revealed about the general craft and life of a crew chief was was fantastic as well. I, that, that bit where um, talking about preferred tracks, favorite tracks, and him just mentioned that, okay, Qatar's not a great track for Marquez, but it's a good track for him and that engineers have good and bad tracks as well in places they they figure out details like that were, were lovely to hear from the, from the horse's mouth. Yeah, I actually like kind of broke my brain for a second because I never thought about it that way. When he pointed out that he doesn't like qualifying, like you don't you don't think about things in those terms. Yeah, totally. Right now that I look back at it and I think, of course, Juan Mir at Suzuki was just no good at qualifying. No disrespect, but it's obvious the numbers are there. And Fabio Giannantoni's big problems on on the Ducati came to qualifying and you never even think about you know the crew chief looking at those two situations and thinking well maybe it's something with my method with how i work with what i prioritize and i mean part of it is also i think that those guys are maybe not the most natural qualifiers anyway so we'll see how you know mark who can uncork a single lap 
how he goes under Frankie's stewardship and maybe Frankie will completely rethink his his stance that he's not so good at tuning and qualifying. But I think that was, I just found that super, super interesting when I heard it because again, I never thought about it that way. I mean, I think the problem that Frankie has made for himself here is that um, we got him on to talk about Mark Marquez as his new rider on the eve of the the first test of the season. But we are absolutely going to have to get Frankie on again to talk about just being a crew chief because the stuff that he hinted at about that was so good that you know we're going to have to we're going to have to untap the rest of that at some point. So sorry, Frankie, but it's it's a mistake of your own making. (laughs) It's it's all your own fault there. You you were too interested. I'm sorry. Yeah, we, the door's open now, so we are going to get into Carol Abraham on a future episode at some point as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks again to Frankie Carcetti and Grassini for making that possible, and listeners for joining us for this bonus episode of the Race Mode GP podcast. We'll be back on Thursday after the first test has happened in full, although we might pop up again if anything really startling happens during the test. I don't... I, we, we quite often have the phrase emergency podcast declared if something happens that piques our interest. And, you know, the first test of a season this interesting might just do that. But whatever, we'll be back in your ears on Thursday with all of Val and Simon and my thoughts about everything that's happened over the first three days at Sepang. The Athletic.